Welcome to Shine Me A Light Podcasts. In this series, we're interviewing Class of 95 Sydney Girls High School students 27 years later, and this episode is Natasha White. You tell me, what happened for you from 95? From 95? So when I finished. And so I know the memory is hilarious to you. (laughs) Yeah. 95. <laughs> 95. Well, I was one of those one of those ones that was like, you know, Sydney girls must get a good degree, head straight to university because that's what you do. So yeah. straight into uni, like, well, after a, a lovely break of uh, myself and four of the other girls from the year went to New Zealand for a month. So that was pretty cool. Went backpacking around New Zealand. So that was the start of the summer break, but then straight into uni after that. So I went and did um, tourism management. So um, business degree, travel tourism-esque. Um, so yeah, plunged into that, which was probably in reflection a mistake to have ploughed straight into uni. I think I was burnt out from year 12. I really think yeah. <laughs> HSC, the whole works, pretty intense, so much pressure on myself, not from anyone else, purely myself. Um, but, yeah, plunged into uni because that's what you do. You get that done and dusted and, yeah, a bit of a rude shock to the system, um, having got a really high TR, very successful, always aced most things at school. First assignment of uni, I think I got 41%. So that was like, you love it. chop yeah. you right back down. <laughs> I've been working as a tutor the last 10 years with kids and watching that happen. It's so cute. I'm like, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a really rude shock. Just like, but, but I'm good at this. I'm good at this. But I also like, you know, you look back now and you go far out. I was so burnt out. Like I was just, even though I'd had that three-month break over the summer, you just like, you'd put so much pressure on yourself for years and indirectly we all had. Like the teachers expect so much of us. We all expect so much of ourselves. We're this up-and-coming women who are going to go get the world and, you know, like, and so you you (laughs) just... Here we come, and I've got to be, you know, and and you, you put all this pressure, and it wasn't it wasn't at all for my family or anyone else, but yeah, and then you plow into it, and it's so funny because my now husband, who was my high school sweetheart that I met in year twelve at Sydney Boys, he was the complete opposite, so um, fairly lazy with his study. Like I remember trying to get him to do some study sessions, he said never worked so hard in his life. Um, so he finishes with a pretty good mark, all in all, considering he didn't really study, he did bloody well. Um, but he just hit uni and it went from strength to strength. You know, he's, wow. he's hit a degree and has like skyrocketed, like, I love this style of learning, it's independent, blah, blah, blah. Whereas me, yeah, it took me a little while to find my feet. That first year of uni was pretty tough. And um, I was up at UTS, Corinne Guy, which I also felt somewhat ripped off because it was a bit of a... <laughs> Everyone else had headed to all these great unis with lovely campuses and, you know, a real on-campus vibe, you know, and and there was parties and bands. There was nothing there. It was just this concrete jungle in the bush at Kuringai. And much as I had some nice friends in my my course, it was just not a... um, Aww. Yeah, it was different to what I expected. And I think I was a bit envious yep. of everyone else that was having these amazing experiences, whereas I just went in, got what I needed to get done and, you know, headed back and out. And I, I experienced it very much the same because I went much older at 29 and everyone was 17, 18 and oh. I just didn't fit in. <laughs> <It's> like I just... <laughs> 
a generation gap by that point, yeah. It's 100%. Like, yeah. yeah. You, you, I remember finding one particular, like, boy in my eyes quite attractive and I just was repulsed because I'm like, oh, I'm 29, like, yuck. <laughs> no social life. <laughs> Yeah, so I yeah I didn't really have any social life at uni, although I clung on to everyone else's. So you know, so many of the girls from school had gone to um, UNSW, so I was there quite a bit because that was my local round the corner uni. Um, and You're still living. I was still living in the east of Sydney, so yeah. um, but commuting across, which Tripping was a really out, commute because so. I didn't have a car at that point. So, yeah, yeah commuting guy. across town to oh, no. um, campus, only an hour and a half. Probably got our first much like your commute to blip. school. Didn't you have a huge hour and a half, two hours? Didn't <gasps> it take you forever to get to school? We just had our first recording blip. We did. It just yeah, froze. We just had internet on God knows who. In. Isn't the internet just... Everything is now, you know. <laughs> I could just there was none of this, like in high. Like, I know, and I'm so glad when you when I think back. Like I just wouldn't want to be a teenager today with everything oh. being recorded. And how much more pressure would there be? It's um just yeah, and perfectionism, <laughs> like in terms of everything can be tweaked and touched up and Used against you and put yeah, up and and, and 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 brought back. Yeah, yep. Jeez. Yes, it's it's a minefield. I've got a fourteen year old girl, so yes, that oh, is that is thing. a challenge. <laughs> okay, so you finished the degree, yeah, and so I finished the degree. So after a rocky foot to start to it, I found my feet. I actually discovered that. I didn't really know why I'd gone into tourism. Um, love it. I, I love, I, I still do passionately love travel. I love the world. I love people. Always love geography, one of my favourite subjects. So that's probably the motivator. Um, but when I got into it, I was like, oh, this is all about, you know, telling people they need things and selling things. And I'm not a salesperson. And it's also about big business and how we can get more people into these places and basically destroy them. So um, I, I sort of got a bit disenfranchised with the, with the degree, but, Thankfully for me, there was a wonderful lecturer that did all the ecotourism, sustainable tourism, looking at cultural tourism piece, and him and a couple of the others, I got involved in all their subjects and ended up doing really well with that. Like I ended up doing research projects, working with national parks, had some really cool, because I had to do a lot of prac, um, we had to do at least 12 weeks of prac before we finished the degree, so I... Yeah, I, I went and lived up in northern Queensland for a bit. I did projects, yeah, Ooh. on tours in the Blue Mountains. So I, so I ended up having a great end of my degree and did really well in the end. It just was a bit bit rough um, to start did with. Did you use it immediately or did you? Well, I went – well, I, I after that, I'm like, I'm going travelling because that was always my intention. I wanted to head overseas. So my mum's English. Um, she moved out here in her 20s. So I'd only met my English family when I was – two or something so I didn't remember any of them um so was very keen to go and do the London UK thing and then spend yeah. some time with that part of the family and mum's friends um so yeah I took off um pretty well as soon as I finished my degree and went over and lived with my mum's best friend actually in London oh. who's a really cool single lady who um she's always been a bit of a mother figure to me so that was really special we got to <laughs> Um, spend time and whilst I went and worked and I ended up doing work um, through her contacts actually I ended up working in doing oh, ticketing and accounts and stuff for these tiny little airlines in Europe like Moldova Air and 
Uh, oh God, I can't remember. Some Belarus. <laughs> and because my name's Natasha, they would just hear Natasha and okay. sprout off in Russian and all that. So yeah, yeah. No, not that kind of Natasha. I don't. I don't have. I have da and yet that's it. You know. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, so that was that was really fun. So I was over in over in the UK for quite a bit, actually. And um, someone mentioned you were on TV a lot. What is yeah, that well, that was even before that was before high school. In fact, probably finished not long into high school. So that was Karina. So Karina and I went to Clovelly Public, um, yeah. and we had birthdays um, two days apart. So we always used to celebrate birthdays together. She made that comment. <laughs> um, but yes, um, I. I, I was a childhood model, if you like. I, from when I was about six months old, I, I used to do not so much TV, but, um, oh, I did do, I did do some TV, but a lot of print stuff, like the old-fashioned, um, do you remember, yeah. what was her name? Deborah Hutton, the, she yes. was the old Grace Brothers. Well, I was her daughter, so I was in the Grace Brothers <sighs> family. I was the girl and there was a boy that was my brother and we were the face of, Grace Brothers for that particular season. I or did season. the Grace Brothers Toy Expo one year. I got oh, home did? and never again because I wanted to take every toy home that they gave me. And if I day, I'm like, we never want to work with this kid again. <laughs> but I do. I saw Deborah Hutton in my 20s giving a motivational talk when I was working in corporate. She was the keynote speaker. Yes. And, um, she was really good. Well, I actually, funny enough, in one of my jobs working at the Holiday Inn, actually, um, when I was doing function work during uni, like a job I was working through uni, and she was she was doing motivational and she was on one of the corporates that I was running the function work for. And I went up to her and said, oh, I used to be in your daughter, do you remember? And she completely dismissed me. It's like, Didn't. I don't remember you at all. <laughs> well, like, oh, <laughs> well, I remember you. <laughs> uh, I think she was trying to, at that point, separate herself from that past. Because I remember yeah. going in thinking she was going to be pretty lightweight because I was just thinking of her yeah. you know, print work and, you know, thinking, well, why have we got her speaking? And then she came across really powerful. And so I was like, oh, okay. So I think she was. Yeah, that, I think she I was. She was it was very clear. She didn't want to talk about the fact that we, like, she, she, probably did know who I was because it was a good year at least of, yeah. of campaign but um yeah so I did lots of different things and tv ads mostly non-speaking stuff although there were some there was a famous Tarzan grip ad you remember that Tarzan's grip um glue some sort of strong oh glue they teased up my hair oh my and had it looking goodness. like I was out of Tarzan and Jane like I was oh. and I was dressed in a leopard skin thing Oh and my god! Say you know something how many kids of... went and put glue in their hair after that. I guarantee you, my daughter would have been one of them. They would have had to cut it out. That wasn't the point of the art. <laughs> yeah, so that was one of the funny ones. And the other one that my husband always tells everyone when it comes up in some random conversation when we, you know, meet someone new or whatever, and something comes up about the fact I did photography or modelling, and he's like, "Do you remember Rye Tech tables? Do you remember those blue?" fold up Rytec tables that oh my God. they they used to fold products. these are 80s products and they'd fold it fold into a thing you pull it out and it was plastic and it had two blue seats on the side and a black the blue thing and it folded into a oh I don't know anyways <laughs> I was on I was on the on the box of that I was the face like there was a family a boy and a girl and the mum and the dad well I was one of those and so many people had them in their garage for years so I've I've still sit in some people's garages on (laughs) On the box (laughs) of the Rytec table (laughs) I love it it's crazy (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. So that was all way early. See, I thought, yeah, in my head I was thinking, did I miss something like in the 10 years after school you were all over TV and I missed no, it? No. Back I in said- the day where I only got two jobs ever. The other job I got was doing a um, Bernardo's child abuse brochure. And oh, I was my so God. Happy to get a job that I was so happy. And they're like, you have to be sad for the photo. <laughs> and they'll bring it out onions. <laughs> and in the end, they just used eye drops. And I have like this, you know, smirky. <laughs> not this kid's not quite what they were going for. <laughs> Never again. <laughs> oh, dear. The 80s. Oh. Holy crap. Far right. out. Okay. So where are we up to? You have done a degree. You have traveled using the ends of the degree and then after the degree. Yeah. And then what were you thinking? So, well, I, <laughs> another part, which is key part of the travel was, well, I was working over in London, but then um, Jeremy, my now husband, he joined me at the end of his degree, came over and worked for a bit. And we embarked upon a cycle tour. We'd never done cycling in fact I never used to bike with gears like I had a bike as a kid but never a bike with gears so we had this grand idea because it was really quite popular at the time like being in London there's a lot more bikes like I used to ride my bike to work and I joined some cycle group that was all into doing trips all around Europe and I was like we got this idea oh we'll we'll go riding around Europe we didn't really know Beautiful. what we were doing and we bought Painful. a couple of bikes and <laughs> and took off bought a ticket took off and really had no idea what we're doing, um, flew to Greece and thought, oh, we'll go for about a month or six weeks and then we'll come back to London and we'll do some other travel. Um, but after a bit of a rocky start, including me not knowing how to use gears and falling <laughs> off the bike by putting the gears the wrong way, like in high gear going up a hill, <laughs> um, being laughed at by many German cycle tourists who clearly knew what they were doing and laughing at our complete and utter ignorance, um, we did manage to um, get the hang of it. And we, five months later, rolled back into London after wow. cycling through many countries. And I think we end up doing six and a half thousand or seven seven thousand kilometers or something crazy and were there set places you stayed at night like you had to get there um, we didn't really have a plan per se like we we had a map and this is all before the internet of course like we didn't have you didn't have your your, you know your little maps you plug it all in it was literally you buy the michelin map and we had our little you know we joined this cycle group that were giving us written things of you know, where to go from A to B to C. So you'd follow these tours and you follow your little Michelin map, which you put in the front. There's a little bag that goes on the handlebars. And so we'd have a bit of a rough plan, but sometimes the roads didn't exist or because you're using all the back roads, you're not going on busy yes. highways. We'll try not to, although we did get safety reasons. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we, we had a bit of a plan. Like we thought originally, oh, we'll go to Greece and we'll go to Italy. Like we'll ride through a bit of Greece and then we'll catch a boat to Italy and ride through there and then we'll see how we're going. But we worked out um, partway into that, that it was actually really enjoyable and it wasn't as hard as we thought, like once we got the hang of it. So, and we had, we had our camping gear with us. So we had this tiny little tent about this big and little sleeping bags like this size and blow-up mattresses. And My personal nightmare. <laughs> I know some people just cringe at the thought of – just even the thought of it. i everything and I'd be itchy and there'd be no shower. <laughs> well, we always largely stayed – like we. there were people that did it that rough camp because they're trying to save money, but it was – 
for us, it, we were lucky because it was when the um, we were on the pound and it was still up against, it was before the euro came in. So it was all these currencies had crashed against the pound. So we were sort of almost making money as we were traveling because <laughs> the pound's going up so strong. So we just paid for campgrounds each night. I think a couple of times we slept, we did a rough sleep somewhere, but it, it was mostly in campgrounds, so always a shower. Um, chance to wash your clothes. I'm not getting back into filthy clothes. Not not that bad. <laughs> so um, yeah, it was amazing though. It was just such an amazing experience. Um, and it, as I say, like we actually got the hang of it. When you're only like people said, oh, it must be so tough cycling. You know, pushing yourself to yeah, like when when all you've got to do in your day is choose yeah. a point on a map, and it might be only 20k away, it might be 50, or it might be 100. But you're only your only mission in the day is to get to that point and to eat your way there because when you're cycling, you get hungry. And in Europe, yeah. there's great food everywhere you go. And also because you're a cycle tourist, people give you free food. <laughs> so when your only mission is to do that, it's actually a pretty, it was a pretty enjoyable way to spend a number of months. So Simple yeah. days. Yeah. And I wonder if that would even be doable today. You know, I just, I don't well, know I the think I think I think people I think it's completely different. Like I think you've got all your apps and everything, and you'd have like you'd have, you know. And people use e-bikes now. So actually, we know a few friends that have taken their kids overseas and done a few weeks of cycle touring, and they put them on e-bikes so you can just press the motor and sort of go along a bit easier. More touristy, isn't it? I'm just I'm just here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm probably playing their iPad at the same time. Yeah, so. that's right. You probably got that on the uh, handlebars rather than my old school Michelin map. <laughs> <laughs> Craziness. Yeah. So when was that exactly? What year was that? That you was remember? 2000. Um, okay. Because well, we you came. Were afraid of Y2K? No, I wasn't. Everyone else was freaked out about it, but I was cycling I was around Europe. I was institutionalised. I was so scared of one to care. <laughs> no one else seems to care. I love it. All right, so 2000, move, move along. Yes. No. So that was all, yeah, that was all 2000. And then we stayed, we must have gone back to the UK for a little bit after that. I can't really remember now. And we came back to Australia just as... The Olympics had just finished. We got it back in time for the Paralympics. So whatever yeah. that was, was end, September, was, end of the year. October, I think, was the opening ceremony. Oh, gosh, okay. So hard, isn't it? But yeah, it was definitely that second half of 2000. And so. Yeah, that's when we came home. So wow. Yeah. And then you're back so, in Sydney. Back in Sydney, I'm assuming. Yes, back to Sydney um, at that point. And then went... I can't really even remember how we we went in search of jobs and I don't even remember how how we got them, how I got what I ended up working in a <laughs> I ended up working in a um, travel research centre it was called. It was a basically a market research agency that um, did research for tourism specific companies. So Qantas was one of the big like we did all the flight surveys and they run these you know, round, annual round-the-world surveys of all different airlines, and they were one of them, United Airlines. And then there were all these tourism destination surveys. So it was good because that's the part of my degree I did like. I, I did like the research element. So yeah. um, it was it was pretty basic but, but tough. Like I only lasted a year in that job because the way it was a very small business um, run like on no money at all, paid poorly, expected heaps out of you, burnt myself yeah. out in, you know, like – got those early learning lessons of, oh, 
you know, set some boundaries for yourself. Um, yeah. you don't You don't need to work around the clock, but I sort of thought that's what was expected. And then your body eventually says, no, I'm going to stop you right there. You, you're going to, you know, you're sick for a week now with a flu or a this or a that. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, it's in the Quran not to do that. <laughs> I was doing an assignment really? with somebody. Yeah, I was doing an assignment with somebody the other day, a kid who's studying religion, and they were studying, you know, Islam and looking at the hadiths. And one of them is exactly that. Don't burn yourself out. Be consistent and don't go head for hell and burn the candle at both ends and then collapse. I thought that was, yeah, okay. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's, our society needs a bit more of that, I feel like. <laughs> you know, it's taken me to my 40s to almost, even though I had that lesson back in my 20s, it's really taken yeah. me to my 40s to properly put decent measures in place to not do that. Like, Yeah, I've made it to be smacked over the head a lot of times with that one too. <laughs> you get so into something and you yeah. and you think it's going to collapse without you and, and people are telling you that. And, yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. right. That's, that's it. Yeah. So that job didn't last. That job didn't last, but thankfully that job um, sort of springboarded me into a great job at the um, Australian National Maritime Museum. So that was still is my favourite next to the job I hold now. Um, that is still my favourite ever job. It was amazing. So I was. They appointed me as the first ever. Um, what was I? What was my evaluation and visitor research officer? I think I was. So I was like the person that was in charge of managing the market research for the museum. And it was amazing. I had this amazing boss. She's still the best boss I've ever had. And it's probably why I love the job so much. Um, Susan Bridie. She was an incredibly inspiring woman, um, really assertive, very good at her job very good at delegating, not a micromanager at all, complete trust in me from word go, even though I was brand new in this in this role. And she, you know, there were all these internal people that had been interested in the role. And um, she took me from outside and trusted in me. And, and even though I was only quite young, um, yeah, it was great. Oh, you give me uh, chills. It, yeah, it's beautiful. It was just, oh, yeah. and she was just so, you know, she, she oh, what a woman. Like she just had... Um, she would check in with me each week, um, make sure I was on track with budgets or whatever, but give you just enough rain. Like she like just trust. trust to be able to yeah. get on with it, but a little bit of mothering there, but not mother. I don't know how to describe it. She just yeah, had that perfect balance enough. between the two. And she just did it effortlessly because she was in charge of so many different, as the marketing or communications manager or whatever, she was, she supervised me. She supervised the membership manager. She supervised all the education team that looked after schools coming into the, um, not the uni, the um, museum. So she yeah. was, she was just but she just seemed to do it effort, effortlessly. Um, and she just had very good people skills. So she set me up beautifully. I could have, I mean, that role could have been a complete and utter disaster because yeah. um, it's the type of role where museums can be a bit old school. And yeah. a lot of the museums down in Canberra were very um, much more forth, forward thinking. And they'd got these roles on probably five or 10 years before the Maritime Museum did. And uh she she was the one that pushed for it. She's like, we need to understand what our visitors want here in order to help tailor things to their needs. What's the point of yeah. making and doing an exhibition if no one 
even walks through it. Like, and that's you know, we've got a, just, we know what you want rather than asking you. Yes, <laughs> just, yes. You know. We we were this saw your, your arrogance almost. Yeah. Um, so it was like reversing the thing. But that, of course, yeah. there's a lot of traditional, like in terms of the curators and the designers, and some of them had very more traditional views. Right. You know, yeah. no, these things, these artifacts, or whatever, deserve to be preserved in their own, which they do. They do that. Um, but they also there won't be any money for them if you don't also bring in audiences. Like if you don't bring in people to look at them, um, you're not going to have money to preserve them in the first place. So, um, yeah, it's a bit of that, yeah, interesting sort of, um, I don't know, old versus new philosophy. But the great thing was because of the way Susan um, brought me on board and because she had such lovely relationships with all these different departments in the museum, she sort of set up the meetings initially for me to meet with all these different groups. And then she put me in touch with all the museums in Canberra and the one, I think, Australian Museum as well, and all the people that did my role in these other places. And so I had all these amazing mentors. Then I had her. And even though I did have some resistance on occasions, um, mm. it was... It was it was lovely. Like we went from museum that had never, like had, I think had done a did a survey once a year to suddenly having, um, we did every exhibition we ran. We did focus groups beforehand to get people's ideas around naming around what should go into that exhibition or what would help it make it more interactive, more available for children or for elderly or whatever. Yeah. So it completely changed it. We did. Um, observation studies where I used to tell people it's like I was a um, stalker. <laughs> we used to, uh, yeah. So carry on, to, I'm just observing. Yeah, that's right. So we were allowed, legally we were allowed, so I learnt this from all my wonderful colleagues down in Canberra mm-hmm. museums, that you were allowed to observe people walking around the museum as long as you had put a very visible sign in the foyer near the ticket area when they arrived saying observations are happening at this point in time. And yeah. so... Um, yeah, we, we used to do observations and it was basically to, to show, to learn about, you know, when you design a space, you've got these huge exhibition halls and they design them and seeing where people move within that space, how long they interact with things. So like it got down to nitty gritty. We had all these codes we'd use to record stuff um, and, and follow people. Like you had a, a strategy of who you would follow. Like, But what the great thing with this was, again, from the mentorship of these other other um, people doing the role, they said get all the staff um, from the museum, from all the different departments, all the different teams, get yeah. them involved. They're the they're going to be the observational people. Eyes on the ground, so yeah. put them on the put them on a timetable. So you have one person each day that goes, and it's part of their job. Well, some of them were very resistant to doing it, but it was the best thing because. You know, they sort of had these ideas about how an exhibition would be used. And I remember one woman getting up in a meeting and saying, the most important part of the exhibition, no one's even going anywhere near it. They're all bypassing it. They're walking the other way. So it was a great, um, one of those great learnings where you. you. (laughs) Yeah, it's like it was a double because we were getting the data back and all this information back. But the best thing about it was that the people that were on the ground designing these exhibitions, like physically and putting them in, actually learnt what was working and what wasn't and, and you yeah. know, like bad, bad lighting. People would never go. If it was dark and dingy, they'd never go in those areas. And, yes, you have to preserve the artefacts, yeah. but you've got to find a way so the lighting improved and, like, all sorts of stuff. So, lighting yeah, it was such, it? A, yeah. such a fun job. Little parts to it, working parts. Yeah. Be interesting. Yeah. 
and all the little kids and what they do and oh, how to I keep know. things safe. And <laughs> oh, and all the school programs, like they had all that, like every day there's all these, um, I'm just going to try and shift my light a little bit because the sun's beautiful, but it's catching, <laughs> can't catching see. my face, can't see. Um, there we go. Shutters. There we go. Um, yeah, so we had all these, you know, all the school programs. So they're all ex-teachers that had all taken jobs working there and were teaching kids about maritime stuff and taking them on the submarine. And, yeah, so it's great. I sometimes sit down the submarine. Some weeks I was sitting down there doing counts of tourists and sitting out on the naval ship. It was it was a great job in the middle of Sydney Harbour. It, it, was, it was awesome. So I was there yeah. for quite a few years, actually. Um, I, yeah, I stayed there for a while. It was only that, um, it was probably there three or four years. When, when was it? 2004. So much as I loved, absolutely loved the job, loved where we were living. We were living in Waverley, overlooking Queen's Park. We had an awesome old Aww. school apartment, but awesome apartment. Yeah. Um, beautiful I views. I you when I grew up had lived in that exact same area. Awesome. Really? I can't remember the name of the street, but it was just oh. down the road from Queen's Park. And it was just a Dar- great place Darley to live. Darley Road or something. Oh, what? No, it wasn't yeah. Darley. What were we? I can't remember the name now. No, isn't it Albion. Crazy? Albion Street oh, was where we were. Yeah. History. <laughs> Go on. But it was beautiful. But, um, yeah, both – so I was living with Jem um, and, yeah, and he had a great job as well. He was working in HR um, in town. But both of us found we were just finding um, Sydney life quite tiring. So both of us working in town um, and just found every weekend we were just heading down towards Bronte and sitting on the cliff just to look out at the ocean. It's like there's too many people everywhere. We're just going to sit and we need some space. And we get our newspapers, get our coffee from down, you know, one of the cafes at Bronte and just sit up on the cliffs and like, oh, here we are. We're all good. Um, You know, life's good. There's some space in this. Um, So much as, yeah, much as both of us were loving our jobs and we love where we lived, it was just Sydney was getting a bit full on. So it's actually um, Helen Wodak or... I have to um, make sure she gets in touch because she's not on Facebook. So she's still one of my very close friends. Um, Helen had, um, she had relocated. She'd taken, gone on the um, Australian Youth Ambassador Scheme, which is through AusAid, um, where they send under 30-year-olds between 18 and 30, I think it is, each year on skilled assignments to Asia and the Pacific so amazing. She'd got this post. She'd, she'd done law. So she was over working for the court. I think it was a court. I can't remember. In Vanuatu, in Port Villa. And she told us about this um, scheme. And I was like, that sounds amazing. You know, like Sydney's getting full on. I'd love to go and live in Asia or the Pacific. <laughs> Why not? Um, so, yeah, they, they had these scheme running every six months. You could apply. And it works such that you you had to find a job. So they'd post a whole, like probably every six months, they'd post maybe 40 or 50 different jobs and they'd all be all scattered all around the place. So it might be in Papua New Guinea, it might be in Myanmar. It's wherever Australia was doing aid work. So you'd have to sift through all these jobs. And some of them were completely unrelated to stuff you could do. Like some of them might be an electrician. There was volleyball coach, you know. (laughs) I played. (laughs) 
so there's a whole heap that you go like can't even can't even begin to entertain that and then you're going okay so it was interesting because the scheme is obviously designed for young people to go over and do this it's not designed there's schemes where they send families and couples it was not a couple scheme but here's jeremy and i going we want to do this and we want to go to the same place. So we're trying to yeah, look for places where they're like, it's going to line up that his skill set, he can find something and I can. Anyways, long and short of it, we applied to a, a number, I think three different countries. Um, and as it happened, we ended up both of us going to Vanuatu. Um, so we ended up in the same spot as Len um, and had six months um, with her there. She was in her second six months and then we had another six. So we had 12 months there, um, leaving in Port Vila, um, which was absolutely incredible and life-changing, um, just totally tipped upside down, inside out, spam me round. Every idea I've ever thought of um, was just completely turned on its head like just the whole perspective of the way things are are seen i haven't had the privilege of living in an an indigenous australian community but i think there would be quite a few overlaps like i think the the perspective of how they see uh the environment and their whole um approach it, it the Ni Vanuatu, um, there's a lot of commonalities there, I would say, with um, First Nations people here. Um, in fact, it's the yeah, same with Papua New Guinea, like it's Melanesian culture. There's quite a lot of overlap there. So it was a f- absolutely fascinating, fascinating year to go and do that. Um, we were both... What a contrast. Very, very blessed. Yeah. <laughs> it was. It was. Yeah. So here's, like, it's so funny how you sort of... You know, you have these ideas and, you know, here's Gemini sitting on this cliff top at, you know, Bronte going, we just need some space. So we'd head off on our bikes and try and head to, I don't know, La Perouse or somewhere where there was like green space or, or national yeah. parks or whatever. Like we're always trying to find some space. And then, you know, a year, six months down the track, you're living in this amazing location like we were living yeah. opposite a little island that we used to just walk down the road and catch a little barge across to and go swimming and snorkeling and i'd swim yeah. swim around an island during my lunch break like that's what all the expats um, did they would all meet up and they'd go around and do this like kilometer swim or a couple of k whatever totally it was. different pace totally different i did postgraduate studies with a guy who was stationed there for his work and the contrast between his days and our days you know unbelievable two different worlds isn't it oh just and just so different in in every aspect like the pace of things like the whole um work is not so um central to the core like you're not defined by your work in the way that we might be it's one part of your life but family is really family and community is the biggest sense there and something really beautiful about that um yeah and even Um, even with the like in a lot of cases like quite um impoverished like a lot of poverty a lot of health issues um diabetes um lots of basic skin rashes, ear infections, all sorts of things plague the kids and the communities. But they're they're very resilient and and just so incredibly happy. You know, like so just giggle and laugh all the time. Like we used to joke, you could hear when a 
when an Aussie or, you know, New Zealand or like any Western kid was within sight because they're always like, yeah, it's like whinging. <laughs> it's like the <laughs> whinging voice. It's, it's, it's a white kid. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, whereas the Nii Vanuatu kids, they're just, they're just, you know, not to say that they wouldn't get upset, but they're just so happy going yeah, like here. So it's a different way of living. It's, it's being alive, you know, it's, it's yeah. the moment. It's enjoying, it's gratitude, it's it's appreciating, yeah. it's all this stuff. Whereas I think, I don't know, yeah, and it's, it, I don't know what I've done with my children. You try so hard, don't you? You oh, watch them I getting so upset over the silliest little thing and you're like, you know. Oh, I know. And I think all in here. I think it's actually getting like, it, it, God, it's a nightmare, isn't it, as a parent now? Like it's just, you know, here I am oh. trying to, you know, teach these basic concepts of gratitude and kindness and, and they just like yeah. oh, roll the eyes, oh, there she goes again, you know. Yeah. <laughs> if it's not on some sort of TikTok that you can watch in two seconds flat and yeah. flick past to the next, it's uh... – well, One thing I'm learning with my 19-year-old is when they get in enough pain, they listen. <laughs> yes. They just have to get desperate enough yes. to be open to the different thinking. You've yeah. got to let them follow you that got... road until they're in yep. pain <laughs> and then they're ready for you. <laughs> yeah, just have to let them have the big falls. Yeah. 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 Oh, took me it's... 20 years to learn some of that stuff, so I'm really glad you heard me. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Oh, it's nice to know that they do listen. Like I get little moments with my four, I've got a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old. Um, girl so and boy. So 2008 and 2010. <laughs> 2007, 2010. Yeah. 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 Um, but yes, there's, there's occasional moments there where, um, oh, I guess with both of them, but particularly my 14 year old where I think you're right. Like where things, where she's pushed, if something pushes too far or she goes, you know, she's got so much confidence, but then if something happens and it gets, that does get shattered, then then that's when she will more <laughs> You're like, yes, my moment yeah. has arrived. <laughs> yeah. So how's parenting yeah. been for you? Because those moments, like I love those moments when you get to be a guide and, you, and you're heard and, and, and everything you've accumulated that you're waiting to hand to them that they never want, you get to give and they want it. I love those moments. Yeah. But then there's the other 99% of the time where oh. it's just relentless and I had no idea. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I hope that's everyone, but I had no idea. I just had these little fantasies of a baby, and I don't even know little kids playing in the yard that looked over and went, "Love you, mum." I don't know what delusion. No, saying. same as me. I don't think I even got. Quite honestly, when I was pregnant with Alia, I don't think I really got beyond the pregnancy book. Like I was so. I was all about because I've always been about you know healthy lifestyles and you know moving and eating well. So I was all consumed with, you know, eating the right thing, doing the right things, you know, nurturing this baby, having a lovely natural birth. I, I didn't even think about what had happened when she actually was born. So there was like a, such a rude shock when like I couldn't, I, I so sleep. struggled with, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't <laughs> breastfeed properly. Like the, I got there oh. in the end, but it was just horrible. That's I was in so struggle. much pain. I was struggling. I was emotional. I think I actually, you know, 
I've said to friends later, like I actually think I probably had some postnatal depression because I was almost like completely disconnected from Ali. It's like, here she is, this little thing. I don't really know what to do with you. Um, I didn't, I had a completely, I felt almost ashamed. I didn't tell (laughs) some of my friends for years that I didn't have that immediate connection with her when she was born. It was only after Hugo was born, which it happened with him. But I think I, I think I was in some sort of, I don't know. I think I'd read these books to that point and then I just sort of switched off and I just, I don't know. I know. Look, I I experienced that with my son and it was the sound of his crying would, oh, it was almost like I needed to put noise-cancelling headphones on. I couldn't handle it and it was all not what I'd been told was going to happen and not what I'd expected or hoped for and it was postnatal depression that was later on, you know. But it, but it wasn't like that with my daughter. But so I think, yeah, I think it back, I don't know. I don't know if it's better today. I think it is. I was talking about this with someone else on a podcast too. But in the 2000s, it seems to be there wasn't really much. I think there was one place in Sydney where you could go with your baby. And that was kind of it. It was a sort of yeah. medication and kind of just figure it out. And you think you're the only one and very difficult, you know. Yeah. So hard first-time parenting. It's sort of just, uh, what is this? Oh, that's right. And it, I don't think it matter even if you, even if I had read beyond the, the birth part of the book. Like, I don't think it would have mattered anyway. And I really like, you know, I think if and we're done with having kids, but I think if I was to go back now, I'd be such a different mum to how I was back 14 years ago. Like, I was better the second time round, but I think yeah. if I went back now, I'd be so much better, just oh, yeah. just so I'm much more relaxed. I know. I've got a big gap. I've got one twenty-four and one yeah. thirty-eight, and thirty-eight is so much better than twenty-four because yes. you're just, you know, so much different. Yeah. yeah. Now I'm like, ah, oh, she's going to be who she's going to be. <laughs> well, that's the thing, you know. You you realise it's so so much of it is. Um, so much of it is ingrained where I used to think, oh, it's very much, you know, 50% nature nurture. Well, I think I really think it's in favour of the nature. I think like there's some stuff that like I look now at my 14-year-old and I I could see elements of her personality seconds old. Like she's still got that, the look in her eyes, she's still got that. Like there's an intense personality um, that you could have picked from the moment she was born and and all the way through um, like as a toddler. Um, And whilst we can shape that and, you know, influence it to some degree in the house and how we, you know, bring yeah. them up I think there's so much that's just it's just innately them and you've got to so really let go of that control and just go with that yeah. so it's really easy if some of that's like you and you can relate to it but when it's not like you yes. when and there's things that come up and you go this is so opposite I can't I, where is this person from who is this person <laughs> usually you find some relative in your family you're like yes. oh, I know who you're like yeah yeah, yeah. No, I completely agree with that and it's a shock. Yeah. It was a shock for me anyway. So, oh, yeah. lovely. So these days, so okay, but we've missed. So how, so, so ba, ba, did you work <laughs> while you were with babies? Did you, yeah, what happened? In okay. Reason? So, yeah, we so back, rewind. How do we get from, oh, Working, yeah, from Vanuatu, Vanuatu as well to back to where, because in that process we moved, um, we moved back from Vanuatu and decided not to move back to Sydney. So it was really evident within a couple of months of being living in Port Vila, like, no, much as scenically and 
you know, for lots of reasons, lots of family and friends were all in Sydney. It, it just wasn't the right place for us anymore. Like we didn't want somewhere yeah. as small as Port Villa, which is 40,000 people, but we didn't <laughs> want something as big as Sydney. Um, yeah. So we, when we came back to Australia, my parents had relocated up from Sydney. They'd sold up and moved up to um, Nelson Bay, the Bay Area. Um, yeah. And so we moved in with them and then got jobs in Newcastle, which is where we now are. So we, okay. we then... Um, yeah, came and down. Newcastle. I don't know anyone who's lived in Newcastle. Newcastle's awesome. I really like. It's a perfect place for us because we're very. Um, we love the outdoors. We love the beach. Always, always happiest. Have to have the ocean nearby. Um, even though I managed that year and a half, two years, whatever in in the UK, um, <laughs> I was always missing. Like there's a part of me missing when I'm far from the from the ocean. So um, I love that about Newcastle. It's got amazing scenery beaches it's got really cool restaurants we love our food um yeah it's it's come along so much so we moved here that's about 15 16 years ago now so whenever i came back from vanuatu um and yeah it was still much more of a sort of country style town when we moved i think but now it's more of a little city like it's changed a lot there's been a lot of the councils have done a lot of great work in revamping the city. A lot of people have done their sort of sea change from Sydney or Melbourne or other states to here. I can't know there's lots of people in chefs and medical areas and engineering. Like there's lots of people that have moved. Um, and, yeah, it's really got its own vibe. Um, it's, yeah, it's relaxed. It reminds me a lot because I grew up in Clovelly. And it reminds me a lot of my childhood there. Clovelly is so different now in Sydney because it yeah. came so rich and, God, it, you know, yeah. when my parents bought it, it was called Pauper's Point. It was like the poor it's spot amazing. in East where you'd buy. From the 70s to now in Sydney. Yeah. Wow. I know. You know I, my parents had an option to buy houses for, you know, 5000 6000 12000 yeah. which was a year's salary or two years' salary yeah. free. But today it's... It's a lifetime salary, you know. It's yeah, yeah, crazy, absolutely crazy. Um, so yes, so yeah, Newcastle does remind me, yeah, a lot of of how Clovelly was when I was a kid because I was there throughout the eighties um, and pretty much until throughout uni, and then now that I moved out. Um, so yeah, I love that. I love that about Newcastle. Um, so we're really happy here. Like originally I said, oh, let's give it a try for a year or two. And if it doesn't work out, we'll try something else. Um, yeah. But we, we haven't left it a while now. I think it's it's worked really well. Oh, your so. kids would hate you if you moved down. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> At the ages, they oh, yeah. yeah. And my daughter just lost a friend to the UK, actually, one of her. Oh. She plays soccer, um, Premier League soccer. And one of the girls, her dad's a, like a famous soccer commentator and he got put poached to go and coach a team in somewhere in England. So um, her friend left last week. It was all rather sudden and um, a lot of the girls were very upset by yeah. the um, sudden move of a, you know, 15-year-old girl. It's, I think a, it's a really tough time to move. Mm. You shield kids. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So hard. And then the older you get, the more roots you end up with and you've got kids and you got you end up, you know. Yeah. So you were smart. You you picked the place before 
the children. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I should thank my husband for that because he was much more like I, I didn't want to go back to Sydney, but I didn't, I wasn't sold on Newcastle. We'd had a few friends move here. And of course, it was easy with my parents being up the road, like an hour out of Newcastle, made it a bit easier. But Jen was convinced. He's like, no, no, it's it's gonna it's an up and coming. He's always great with that. He's got a good sort of nose for sussing that stuff out. And he was right. And I said, well, let's give it a go. With you know, it's no harm. Like when you haven't got kids, and like we weren't, we were going and just gonna find a job. So you can be a bit. It's a bit easier when you back then. You forget how easy all that was. No, well, you don't know at the time that it's because you haven't got the comparison. No. And looking back, you're like, whoa, <laughs> no kids. Ooh. Yeah. What did we do with our time? <laughs> okay. You're now in Newcastle. You're having yep. children. Um, are you working in Newcastle in a new job? Did you stay home? Yeah, no. Working in Newcastle. Um, got a, like, must have only worked for a year or so in a job um, that, again, um, was sort of a good it was a good start to getting into Newcastle, but not a job I particularly liked. There wasn't, unfortunately, there wasn't the variety. That's the one trade-off when you come to a smaller place. You've got to be a bit more, you can't be as picky with your jobs. Like where somewhere yeah. like Sydney, Melbourne, Canberra, I could pick up, I could go, oh, there's all these variety of ones. I think I like this one. I'm going to, you know, put in for that. It was a lot more limited, probably a bit more variety now, but was very limited back then. So I took a job working with um, high schools doing um, vocational education placements and school-based traineeships and that type of thing. So they were setting yeah. up this new company and they employed a whole heap of us in one go. Um, so I had a really lovely girl that started at the same time as me and she was like my assistant. Her and I got on fabulously and thank God for her because there was a bit of, yeah, some strange... Yeah, it was just there was some strange things went on and it was um, all a bit rocky. I only, I only lasted a year or so, and then I then I was by then I was pregnant with Alia anyway, so it was great. I took maternity leave um, and then handed in resignation partway through. I was like, I'm not going back. <laughs> I'll find something else. Um, it's all good. I, I'm not going back to that. I'll I'll look for something else. And um, I was really keen to work at the uni um, in Newcastle because I, I just always, I guess it came back to that, you know, how I was saying back in my early tourism days that I um, I had like ethically had an issue with some of the stuff that I was learning. So I've always been, in terms of my jobs, I've always wanted to, been driven to jobs that I can, I feel like, like there's a social good or there's a give back. It's not just about sales and money and profits, although yeah. I mean, that, that's embedded in everything. You have to run a business um, and make it profitable. But like I always wanted to be attracted to something where it was a bit of a, I don't know, where there's an element of, of being for something a bit broader social good. So the, yeah. the university in terms of Newcastle was a really, like was my target employer because I'm like, I don't want to work in anything to do with the mining and engineering. That just doesn't sit right with me. Um, I worked out that working for these tiny little businesses um, is not my cup of tea. I need to be in a bit bigger organisation. So I sort of thought, oh, well, the uni will be a good one. So I started looking for job opportunities there and then a managed to get one working in um, research grants. Um, they took me in. It was a part-time job. So mm -hmm. I think I was started off two days. So Ali was one 
Um, I managed to get her into the daycare on campus, which was just, I rang just at the right time. Someone <laughs> dropped out and they said, if you can pay now. And it was just one of those. It's like, yay! <laughs> <laughs> it's like these one year waiting lists and I managed to get on campus. Um, there's three daycares on campus, but I managed to get into one of them, which was turned out to be a blessing. So I took this job, um, quite intense, like quite pressurized, but I was only two days a week. Um, the daycare was amazing. Um, you know, years down the track, I got you know, Hugo ended up going there. My kids went there, the whole daycare, and it was beautiful. It's in the trees, like Newcastle campus. It's like suddenly um, all the things that were, were sort of missing in my own uni experience, I now got to experience as a like employee because Newcastle campus is beautiful. Like it's tree-lined and it's got lovely spread. It's like a whole suburb of, you know, some of the buildings aren't so attractive, but in general, it's a really, um, it's yeah. a really nice space. It's been well designed, um, and yeah. So I, so I took that job and have worked since I've had the kids. I have not worked full time. Um, I just really had an, a sense in of my job. Job, yeah, yep. yeah. They've worked full time. Well <laughs> and surely worked full time. Not in a paid role, uh, full time. <laughs> You're like um, a one twenty four seven. Oh. Oh God! Yeah, how intense in those early years. Much easier now. The age like mine are at. It's like a little bit. Still got a you know, five-year-old. The five would be intense. It's still full on at that yeah, point. Big age isn't it? Gap. Yeah, exactly. You know, nineteen just has crisis every now and then. Five-year-old, it's one crisis after another. Or yep. it's something where I'm in crisis because she's just you know can't my bed spread or <laughs> drawn on the wall to stop. <laughs> Oh dear. Oh dear Lord. Yeah, I don't um I don't miss the intensity of that much as I you know, it's beautiful and you get all these Facebook memories and things pop back up and cute little videos and you're like, Oh my goodness, oh that's so cute. It's bittersweet, isn't it? I wish like part of me looks at her and goes, Don't ever grow up, you're so gorgeous and adorable and and Part, you know, part of me just, oh, I want freedom. <laughs> yes, it's that, and you don't ever appreciate it at the time. You're always wishing for something else. It's like, just, just be grateful for where you are at that point in time. Um, yeah, that's a good, but, that's yeah. a big one. Yeah. That's a really big one. I reckon that's a, probably been the, one of the biggest things I've had to learn in my life is be grateful and happy in where you are right now. Yeah. Love that. I know. I think, you know, I reckon it, it actually goes back to that Sydney girls mentality, much as I, like I tell so many people this, I'm like, I owe that school so much of who I am. And I really, you know, so much thanks for what it made me as a woman. Like I really feel it's made me into who I am. But one of the downsides of that was this sort of constant striving, 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 yeah. and not being able to just sit here and just Indeed. in the now and go, I, I'm really happy with this. Like it's all about yeah. what do I need to do next? Yeah. Like I've got to this level on a ladder of a corporate thing or I've got to this level, what have I got? I've got to keep going. I've got – it's like, well, yeah. why? You know, that actually yeah. doesn't really make I, me feel happy. I think a lot of people, I don't know whether it was actually in anything anyone said to anyone ever, but I think some people have interpreted that there'll be happiness at a destination if you do all yeah. these things you will get to happiness you know i think yes and, and then I, all these disillusioned people who've done everything have ticked everything off and i'm miserable <laughs> you know? i know it's it's the perfectionism thing because I, I mean i'm, yeah. I'm hands down like I, it, it's you know hit my 40s and go I'm trying to unravel so much stuff that I did for yeah. so many years. Yeah. 
<laughs> I've grown up, you I'm know. Like, when you look at, you know, you look at me as the, you know, child model and I did ballet and I did gymnastics and I was captain of the school in primary school and I, you know, did well at this. Like everything was, yeah. you know, perfectly <laughs> perfect. <laughs> um and, and just sort of that learning, like you suddenly have these penny drop moments. I don't know, something about all my girlfriends, all around 40, yeah. 41, 40, like there's sort of this something penny drop moments are going, oh, my God, like what yeah. were we thinking? What are we doing? Um, and for me it's that, yeah, perfectionist element that I and that striving, you know, must keep going, must be, must reach this. For who? Who the hell am I doing it for? Like no one really like my family's never put pressure on me for that. And none of my friends do either. What am I what who who in society <laughs> created this idea? <laughs> multiple me's. <laughs> um so yeah, I think it's um but that's one of the, I think that's also one of the great things you you know the joy of being a mum and watching kids at any age, like you see it beautifully in little infants and, you know, five-year-olds, but you even get moments of it in teenagers that just that bring you back to the important stuff and back in the moment. It's like the little statements they come out with or the way that they look at something and see it in a totally different way to how you have so like, yeah. oh, this is the stuff life's made of. This is the real stuff. I know. I remember my dad used to have this comment. He used to say, nobody on their deathbed ever wished they spent more time at the office. Yes. And I, it never really resonated with me yeah. until I was older. You know, and it's just that, yeah, that thing about those are the moments that I'm going to wish. If I miss them, I'll regret yes. that. But if I miss something unimportant, it's not going to come to me as a regret. Like, yes. Oh, yeah. Having those priorities and, yeah. Being present, all that stuff. Yeah. So, are you still working at the uni? I am still working at the uni. So this is the um, job you love. So not in that job though. I did. I did um, for about about ten years of different, um, like between two and three days a week in that grants research grants team. I worked very hard work. Um, working a lot of hours, working very hard when I was in there, very good at what it was a lot of um, detail work, working with the university to get all the researchers submitting grants and managing all the behind the scenes of research grants that keep the unis running. Um, And I was very good at it, but it burnt again, like the lesson here, how many times I need to learn it. Burnt me out. <laughs> there we go. Um, because I did, I did it very well. And you know, when mm. you do something well, people um, will also then latch onto that. Like there were a lot of people, huge amount of people in that team that are incredibly competent and the team probably needs to be double or triple the size, but because they're so competent and good at what they do, they don't employ any more people and then they're all under immense pressure and they all hit the breaking points and then have a nosedive. And, you know, and I just, again, went, this is not, this is not um, sustainable. Um, Much as they were, they were great. Like they accommodated well with me being a mum, a working mum. So when I had Hugo, the uni was great. Like we had breastfeeding time built in and my boss was great. So I went back when I was, I don't know, Hugo was about seven months old and I was able to go and feed him a couple of times a day over on the, you know, the daycare on yeah. campus and fit it. Like all of that stuff was great. And I didn't want to, even though the work was quite intense, I didn't want to change anything. It's like, don't, you know, look a gift horse in the mouth. This is amazing yeah. to have this. Um, yeah, so it worked out really well. So I stayed with that. Um, but then um, 
penny drops sort of going, I don't necessarily like the intensity of this this work environment. Um, and I was in my personal interests, in case you haven't got a sense of it, like I love the outdoors and healthy, active stuff, the beach, movement, sport. Um, so when I was working in the grants team, I always was interested. There's a group on campus that did physical activity research. So looking at yeah. movement, health, wellness, well-being stuff. And so I was always I mean, reading their little research projects. What's going on with this? You know, it's really interesting. And I actually did know a few of them just because, you know, Newcastle's a small place. You're on the campus, if you're yeah. in the similar thing, you like mountain bike, like you're going to know people or you like surfing, you're going to know them. Um, yeah. So I knew some of that research team and um, one of the professors, funny enough, his kids um, and my kids were playing down the beach one day and out and running around in the surf. And he said to me, oh, Tash, um, you know, are you at all interested in helping me write some grants? I've got some research grants I want to write. And um, like he's he's a professor and he does all this stuff in physical activity. He said, I've got this idea of um, coming up with some high intensity interval training for year 12 students, you know, where you give them like short little bursts of 10, 15 minutes where they go and do exercise and then it's going to help them study. Would you help me write this grant? So I was like, yeah, I'd love to, love to help you. And so I was still working in the research grants team, but I said, I'll do this casual work on the side. Anyway, one way or another, I end up doing that for Dave um, for a while and then one of the other professors in the area, the director of the centre, and then um, they had a position come up because someone um, was finishing up as the centre coordinator, so coordinating like being the research manager for the research centre essentially. Um, yeah. And this position came up and they rang me and said, we've you know, we've just lost Wayne. Would you be interested in taking the role? I said, I would love to, wow. except I'm just about to go on a three-month trip um, around Western Australia in the Northern Territory with my family. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, I can't, I can't start. And they're like, oh, that's no problem. And I said, I also don't want to work oh. full time. And they're like, no, no problems. We'll get someone else on board to do a job share and you oh, can just cute. start when you come back. So I was so lucky. I went in, interviewed for it. They said, how many days do you want? And I said, said three would be great um, and they said when are you coming back and I basically came back from this three-month trip and started the following week and that's where I am still now um, and yeah so I was very lucky and whoops. There seems to be a big theme in your life of just meant to be like you're in the right place at the right time you know. It's, yes it's, it's um, really cool. there's definitely that element and I think that's one of the things that I have learned and I and I go with more each year I learn and I, you know, learn that bit more is my sort of intuition. So the other part of my life, which I haven't even spoken about, um, is um, that I got interested in yoga when I was at, um, at uni days. I started, I think it was around 1920, I first got into yoga. Um, yeah. Yes, no, so I, I got into Oh, I did my first yoga. Sort of yoga class. I think it might have even been year 12. It was like I was late teens or whatever and just yeah. went to this class and went, oh, my God, this is amazing. And I tried to convert everyone to come along. Oh, yeah. And, you know, some of the friends from school came for a session or two and they're like, yeah, it's good. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I've since then I have pretty well gone to yoga classes pretty well since then um, my entire you know, from 20-odd through to now. Yeah. Um, and 
the year that I started in the research center, I, I decided I'd do my diploma in yoga teaching. So mm. went and did that as an aside. So that's a really nice fit with my current work because we do a lot of, um, you know, work around health and well-being. So it fits in really nicely as an aside, even though I'm not yeah. teaching that much at the moment, but it's just one of those things I'm more dabble in from time to time. Um, but yeah. I more did it as personal development more than anything else. It was a wonderful year of just, you know, having time to reflect on lots of stuff and do lots of those learnings. It it's, was amazing. It's a wonderful exercise. I my 19-year-old's getting into yoga. He was umming and ahhing the That's other awesome. day. And boy, too, do I get the yoga membership or the gym membership? I can only afford one. I like the yoga. So I go with the yoga. Oh, good on <laughs> him. That's great. He likes He's... it for the mental as well as the physical. And I was like. That's so cool. The whole spiritual good on you. <laughs> There's lots of sports teams now doing it. Like in a lot of the, like I know they're using it now in different football codes. So it's becoming like it used to be, well, Originally, yoga was all men. Like when it was designed in India 5,000 yes, years ago, it was original. only men allowed. Women weren't allowed to do it at all. But then when it got revamped, westernized, re westernized it's all women. <laughs> and it's like now it's coming back to like being more of a mix, which is great because it's like yeah. for everyone. It's like just basically And it is it's that beautiful mix. I find it mental, physical and spiritual all in one. It's yeah, nice. that's what I always said. Like I, I said, I used to say to people, I said, why do you do yoga? And I was like, you know, I do a lot of other exercise. Like I love riding bikes, I swim, I walk, whatever. I was like, yeah. you know, they're all for my other muscles, but yoga's for this muscle. Like it's all yeah. about my very, very busy mind, um, yeah. which still is very busy, very much uh -huh. a monkey mind. It's learning uh -huh. how to – there's a beautiful talk I went to actually once, um, a lady – um, was delivering for Yoga Australia and she she talked about <laughs> I think of this often she talked about her mind being like this unruly sort of newborn baby and how she's she's she gets these like she uses these visuals when she meditates of like wrapping it in it's swaddling <laughs> swaddling it up and just giving it a little rock like you're okay just settle down and like, like my brain's like that it's like all these things and yeah. um I sometimes have to yeah cocoon it <laughs> just settle down one thing okay. at a time be in the moment moment um, <laughs> so the yoga course was very much about like learning really like it wasn't about I didn't go into it to, to want to teach yoga like I, I didn't even have any intention of teaching I just wanted to go into learn more about this amazing process like how yeah. how is it that I can walk into a yoga class and an hour later like I could come in I could be stressed I mm. my body can be aching and suddenly an hour later I can walk out and everything can feel transformed not everything yeah. is, but I can feel entirely different. Like what is yeah. it that does that? I want to learn what does that. So that's why I did the, the course. Um, yeah. And it was well, incredible. So um, it's good balance. You've got a lot of different things that mm, are compatible and complementary and it gives a balance. Yeah, it's yeah. it's funny. You know, it's funny how you, um, you sort of, you have these ideas or intentions in your head and you, you know, you sort of imagine or you think about them. I think if you think about them and put enough energy towards them, they do eventually get there. They won't be overnight by any means, but it's yeah. sort of funny how, yeah, if you. And they might not look exactly the way you imagined them. No, no, they might, <laughs> no, take on a. <laughs> <laughs> like relationships, parenting. The imaginings yeah. and the reality. <laughs> you got Very, very oh, different. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so it's um, so it's a nice a nice mix now. And I and and adding to that, I um, one of the things I loved um, when I did that yoga course was um, I had my son's teacher at the time, so he was in year two um, at primary school. She got wind of the fact I was doing my yoga teaching course, and she said, "Oh, would you come in and teach us?" And I said, oh, "I'm only I'm not even qualified yet." I'm like, "She goes, I don't care." She said, "We're using YouTube, you know. She's like, You're better than YouTube. You're live, you know." And she said, "Come in, don't worry." She's a drama teacher as well, so she's like, she's all out there, and she was brilliant. She's like, "Come in and you know teach a class each week, practice." And I'm so grateful for it because I did. I went in for pretty well six months of that year teaching Hugo's class. And it was so much fun. Year two kids were just like they're the perfect age for yoga because they're a bit beyond kindy year one where sometimes they can't quite, you know, get the coordination or the focus or they're like you say right they won't know right and left or (laughs) you say bring right hand. They they can't quite coordinate that or, you know. Um, yeah. But at year two, they've got that. And they're yeah. also starting to get a few of those adult, like, you know, sort of insights and yeah. concepts going on. Those little, you know, you throw a little idea and you see the little brains. Oh, it's gorgeous. Um, so that was so much fun. So I did that as um, throughout that diploma. And then because of that, I ended up going and doing, I teach at the school once a week. So after I got my um, degree, I've, one way and another, I've worked through from kindy all the way through to year six. I've worked through most of the classes now at Bel Air and my kids are now like my son who's still there in year six. It's like, you're not allowed to come anymore. It's embarrassing. Oh, no, he's hit the <laughs> embarrassing mom stage. Oh. Yep, so he's hit that stage where he used to like me coming in year two. Yes. And Alia's like, don't even think about coming to the high school because I had a few teachers <laughs> at the high school ask me, you know, because they do, they do it for stress. Like there's heaps, there's great programs I could teach for teenagers. Um, so I did go and do a kid's yoga teaching certificate as well. That was a couple of years ago now. So now I've got that qualification. It is my intention to try and, well, COVID sort of put a bit of a thing on it, but um, it's it's another one. It's, I'm not rushing it. I'm being patient. Yeah, yeah. And it's I, time. If I put my energy and attention to it in time, um, I'd like yeah. to get back to teaching, probably more primary school. I don't think I'm cut out for the high schools. I think. I'm oh, and he's leaving. Me. So now you're Yeah, free. so now <laughs> I can, I'm, I'm right. I'm right to go back into the primary schools, even though he's bound to know some people at, you know, the schools. It's not going to be quite as embarrassing. <laughs> I used to want people to think I was an orphan. Used to want my parents to walk fifty meters behind me. Oh yes, both my two are like that. Some kids like are not like some of their friends are not worried at all. Kids, you know, hug their parents. My two, no, just come near. I remember when I had my first job, I'd say to my dad, can you park like round the corner, you know, and I'll, like I wanted people when I'm 15, 16, I want people to think I've made my own way in the world. So I'm walking around the corner to get in dad's car, slink down and. So silly, oh, dear. Wow. Just yeah. Teenagers. Teenagers. Yeah, indeed. So how so did how's COVID really affected you? Did you has it been a good thing or a bad thing and how did it change your life? Um I think mostly a good thing. Um I'm I'm blessed, I guess, in that way that I haven't been um as negatively impacted as some people have through it. Like yeah. um not to say that it's a great thing that's happened. There's been a whole spectrum, yeah. It's been the best thing in the world for me, but I recognise there are some people who've lost their entire life, yeah. 
Yeah, some people have lost loved ones, they've lost livelihoods, you know, jobs, yeah. whatever. Um, I'm blessed. Like, um, so Jeremy's work, like his his work, his um, state government. So he's had a stable job throughout the whole COVID period. Um, I've been at the uni again, stable, even though unis are a bit up and down with all the COVID stuff. In reality, very yeah. very blessed um, and in a supportive, great environment with great bosses and um, so was able to work through at home, both of us, in the style of work that we do. So both of us able to work from home very easily, <laughs> easily, I say. Um, yes. Not so yeah, easy. You use that word <laughs> <laughs> I can do my work easily. I know exactly how to work and I can focus. Um, but more, Alia was amazing. She's very, she's got my organisational skills and she's disciplined and she, she just like, she just said early on the piece, Mum. I'm just setting my clock. It's period one. I'm doing this. Like she's just She's like boom, boom, boom. <laughs> She's like probably going to end up like me, putting herself under such high pressure and goals. You know, um, Hugo a little bit more off off task. Like get what he needed done, and then want to be out. You know, running his bike, skateboarding, playing football out the front, which is fine if he got the stuff done. But often yeah. it was like <laughs> Minecraft or you know YouTube. So yeah. close down the taps. The taps keep opening. <laughs> So frustrating. Teachers, I'm sure, you know, kids, they know they're, uh -huh, uh -huh. and all oh, their cameras God. don't work. I've got friends who are teachers. They've just yes. been teaching with 30 black screens. Sorry, oh, Miss, it's just my camera. It won't work. Yeah. Oh, what a nightmare. What a nightmare. So my sister's a teacher and yeah, she's had a, a pretty rough time of it. She's overseas and it's been incredibly, COVID's been incredibly stressful for her. Um, she and when they've had to do the hybrid, you know, and, and oh, teaching half in the room and then the other half. That's the worst. Like she said, and, oh. she likes it when it's just like she was literally teaching on a screen because it's a private school, like she's teaching five or six hours straight across. But she said that was way easier than a hybrid model. You're trying to meet yeah. the needs of everyone. And yeah, what a, what a night. Day never ends. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I think like we're very blessed. So we were both able to work from home. Um, the first lockdown that we had here, Jem ended up, he went to his office because there was two people like the state government, everyone went worked from home. But the two floors, the one he worked on the top floor and someone else was working, he decided he was going to go in there. I think he was probably scared of being here and managing the kids. So I got that joyous job. Um, <laughs> I'm like, thanks a lot. Um, so I'm back here managing all he's this. Out. <laughs> he's out. He's like, he, he recognised, like he's the first one to say, I, I, you know, I'm not good at this. I can't do this. I'm going elsewhere and then I'll come home early and I'll take them off your hands. That's what he <laughs> He did do that for a good chunk of it. But then, then he started staying back at work later. I'm like, where's my time to get I what I need done? God. Um, but yeah, that was the first time round. And then um, second lockdown, he ended up working from home. And pretty much since then, he, he's he been, his office moved and he now has to hot desk if he goes in. So he works from home most of the time. And so it's been a, a really good thing for our family. I think having him here, like being present when the kids are home from school, having those little conversations um, yeah. that, you know, when you hours later, often those moments have passed. Um, yeah. He's, Jem's taken on board as he does. Like he's the type of person that is very passionate and goes full on into everything. So he's 
taken full responsibility for the washing and keeping on top of the washing around the house now that he sees it because he's here all the time and he sees it piling up and he's like, I'm home, I can put a load on in between my meetings. So it's like things like that is like such a weird. (laughs) No, and he can, yeah, he can separate them out now. Really good. Big win. Um, I mean, he's always been pretty practical. I can't really complain. Um, I hear some horror stories. He's always been pretty practical. His mum's raised him with a lot of practical sense. Good on her um, ahead of a time. A lot of boys <laughs> of his generation were not raised like that. Um, good on Cheryl. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, that's been, that's been a real win. Um, and in general, I, I mean, I quite... Um, I quite liked the the downtime that we had with the lockdowns. Like I, yeah. much as I like people, I'm much more an introvert. I, I like, I love spending time with my friends. I like one-on-one time with people or small groups or with my family. But I also love my own personal time and space. Like I love to go for walks up in the bush behind our house, mountain biking by myself. I like swimming by myself. I like a lot of doing a lot of yeah. things, sitting sitting on a cliff looking at the ocean by myself. Um, and I like doing that with people too, but I just I, I've worked out I was reading that, something on introverts and extroverts and it's like how you recharge. Yes, like, it's I what you do to recharge. People, but yeah, what you, but I recharge yeah. alone. Yeah. yeah, so it's like people often confuse me because I'm, I'm chatty and I'm not shy, you know, like, and yeah. I do like, I do love being around people, but if I've had a whole weekend of socializing and we've had lots of things on, then I just know, like I'll get in a really bad mood if I don't take myself off and go and need, do yeah, some I yoga or that. go and just sit and walk. Fill my cup walk. back up. I yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think um, COVID was a win for introverts. It's like it's given it's given a voice to introverts that previously in our society has been dismissed. Like everything's about um, celebrating the extrovert way of living, and yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. But there's been yeah. no no um, observation of what the introverts side of things is, and uh, it was partway into one of the lockdowns. I remember. Uh, my daughter, who's quite extroverted, um, getting frustrated because, you know, like she was she was connecting mm-hmm. with people online all the time, but like, you know, this Not is really same. hard and we can't do, yeah. and I can't see these people. And I, I said something about, you know, well, um, I'm actually quite enjoying this. Like it's, <laughs> and, um, and she was like, what? And I'm like, you know, you know how you're feeling now, like that sense of being uneasy and not in control. And, you know, I said, that's what I feel like a lot of the time. Like, cause I actually need more time and space. And you know, when mum gets in a bad mood, if we've, you know, had a really busy weekend and I just want to take off and I go out for a run or whatever, I said, you know, that's the same as you're feeling now. It's just the opposite way around. And it's yeah. like that, you know, reality of learning oh, oh, you know. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think yeah I think there's been lots of really great really great learnings from COVID just stripping everything back I think having life stripped back to the important stuff um, not taking things for granted I love now how things are more raw around the edges going on that anti-perfectionism thing I yeah. went to a presentation at my, it was the Anzac Day service at my son's school, first time allowed back in the school in ages. And Hugo's one of the prefects and the prefects are running this Anzac Day service. And, you know, you went in and first of all, the, the speaker system didn't work. So the mm-hmm. teachers are screaming out, oh, so-and-so, turn this on. Like this wouldn't have happened two years no, prior. Like all was so proper and like they would have tried, they would have still been doing this, but like messaging in sign, you know, get the, 
But no, it's yeah. screaming, hollering down the hall. <laughs> and then, like, they go to put on the last post and they're using a clip from YouTube and they press play. It's so funny. And oh, no. it comes up with HCF Health Insurance, Australia's cheapest. <laughs> and the ad, and everyone just cracked up. It's just, and you had to wait for it to finish. You couldn't, uh-huh. they couldn't skip the ad. So we had to wait for this before we could do our, um, our minute silence. But no one cared. Like, that's what was so cool. It's just yeah. like now we are finally at a point where we don't have to have it so perfectly neatly wrapped and you know yeah. people can make mistakes and you can be on a zoom call and you know kids come screaming in is, yeah. and there's noises and you know <laughs> and, and that's all okay that's life you know yeah 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 it's, it's much much closer to reality i know i was doing yeah. uni courses when covid hit and a lot of the old professors they can't use technology <laughs> like the one i work being... for <laughs> And you're like, well, some people are complaining, you know, I'm paying $5,000 for this, you know, and you think, oh, yeah. chill out, you know, everyone's doing the best they can. And it's just, it's beautiful, really, to watch people. And then looking over here, okay, so welcome everybody to, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's good. great. It makes so it, makes it more real, huh? More like human, it's just, yeah. yeah, much more human. I think that's one of the really good things. And you, when you've been married for a long time, I'm making this assumption. Is this true? Yes, yes. So we met in high school, but we got married back in 2002. So that must have been between us coming back from the UK and going to Vanuatu. So a long time. 20 years. So I've yes. never been married. Tell me, what is it like in 20 years? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god well and also because we've been together for for that bit longer too like we met in 1995 which is just crazy um oh god um <laughs> it, a roller coaster i think like um like you know I, I don't again your your notions of what marriage is back when you were probably at high school and like your ideas, you know, we thought the same with kids that they just joff frolic about in the grass, you know, like you sort of had this notion that it was all, maybe not all rosy. For a lot of kids. (laughs) (laughs) That you meet someone and it like, you know, and that there's no element of work, you know, if your soulmate just comes effortlessly and, uh, you know, Gem and I connected from the moment we met one another. And in that sense, I guess we are connected like a soulmate it doesn't yeah. mean it's still not a lot of hard work and, you know, there's been times that frustratingly driven each other completely mad, you know. Like when when um, I had Alia um, and I mentioned already that Jem does things, you know, not by halves, he ploughs in, he's a Taurus, he's like ploughs in full <laughs> stream. He decided when Alia was about, you know, three months old or something, he was going to take on the sport of triathlon. Uh, the sport of triathlon involves three sports. It's not just it's a great you know, time train. to do that. So why not? Your newborn baby. It's not enough not? on our plate. That's Jim, um, and I'm sure it was probably without whether he's conscious of it or not. It was probably some reaction that he didn't want to become old, and he's now a father. He's going to keep himself young and fit and healthy, and I'm going to do this, and I need a goal. He always like he's the first one to say he needs to have his goals to keep him activated yeah. and energised. He's very energetic. So he starts to do triathlon and I've got this three-month-old child who wasn't easy. Like she um, 
bless her heart, like she's she's very um, full on, like still is. She's passionate. She's explosive in personality, like, you know, blows up about your volcanic, you know. She's just like, ah! um, so she wasn't easy. And I think, you know, then Jem decides to get into triathlon and is out for hours on end, either swimming or riding or running. And if that wasn't enough, he decides he quite liked triathlon. So we, I spent a lot of the kids' childhood dragging these two, like in carriers, in prams, dragging them to watch Dad and Chid. Like Hugo was sort of grew up clapping, yeah, Dad, yeah, Dad. I'm dragging these kids along. And then he decides that that's not enough. I'm going to get into Ironman um, triathlons, which are the crazy ones where you swim 4K or ride 180 and then run a marathon, 42.2 at the end. Like they go for 12 hours or have a long 10 hours, something. (laughs) And you train for months and months, hours on end. Um, So, yeah, all when the kids were young, um, as if that wasn't all enough, um, yeah, we we were juggling all of that. So there were times when I was very resentful. (laughs) And Ren said to me the other day, something came up and she said, oh, it was when, yeah, because of, um, Ali and Jem had had COVID and I said I was back to like being like a single mum running around you know doing all this stuff because I didn't have it and I'm trying to keep you know life all the balls in the air yeah my friend's like oh it's much like when Jem was doing the um Iron Man triathlon <laughs> no no just repressed all that like don't bring that back up again like ah, I can't think about it the best the best thing was where I mean it was an absolutely amazing like take my hat off to him that amazing achievement to be able to put your body to those limits to do something as crazy, yeah. insane, incredible as that. Um, and he did three of them. Um, but his final one was just like the best news when he got to the end and he said, I'm never doing another one of those. Yes, <laughs> thank God. <laughs> got it out of your system. <laughs> Wonderful work. But, um, yeah, it's just not um, uh, in ter- terribly um, – well, it just, it just adds to that um, challenge that you're always balancing – that. And I, I, what I hear is, and I, what I do know, it's, there's times it's all about one person and there's times it's all about the other person yep. and there's times when it's equal and it's all evidently part of the long haul. Yeah, and how you keep that, I mean, like I know friends of ours where they, you know, you can get really prescriptive about that. Like, you know, I've been out, you know, done this for this period of time. I Therefore, the trade-off is you know, as the partner, I get to do this. So, like, I, I don't like that idea <laughs> yeah. of scorecards per se, be, or even yeah. though I'm a very list-oriented, organised person that measures <laughs> it, like, and I work in research, so I measure everything. That <laughs> um, part of that appeals to me, but then the other side of it is like, that's just not life. Like, that's not how no. life works as well. So, you know, if you tallied up the scorecard, I think probably it would, you know, given the hours Jem did in all those triathlon training, it would certainly tip in his favour in terms of that. But then you know, in years gone past that, um, you know, there's been a his support of me in doing a whole variety of, of other things um, and, you know, supporting me through when I did the yoga courses and, you know, all of that. No, I know what you mean. It's It's like it all, it's the same thing. There's times when and there's different kids and it's all, yeah, it's, it's it's the most important stuff. It's the hardest stuff. It's the hardest stuff. But I guess that, that's the thing, isn't it? It's like, you know, um, if it's, you know, the worthwhile things aren't easy, it's, um, yeah. you know, the t- it's worthwhile putting in the effort and at times, yeah, the frustration and, um, 
Yeah, and you and again, you don't like with the parenting. You don't know. There's no real manual. I mean, there's plenty of books nowadays, and you can Google stuff, but it's still not the same mm-hmm. as lived experience. Like when you. Yeah live and experience something and then you go oh my god that's what people have been telling me for the past decade that's what they were saying (laughs) you know that's what i need to be doing or um you can hear something a million times before you really hear it yes (laughs) yes and and books are so hilarious where's the time to read these books i've swapped to audible (laughs) so that i can now do it while driving and the book keeps stopping for the navigation to give me you know turn left to the next right then i get a few more lines and then it's Oh Jesus! Just uh, information overwhelm. I love how um, podcasts and, and audio books are like a. It's such a thing of. Um, I feel like women in their forties. Everyone I know listens. Like all of their stuff's done largely through listening, right? They don't that's, have the time for the reading. You can multitask while driving because you're a that's taxi, it. right? And you don't. Yep. Yep. I think it, that's what I do anyway, and I think it's yeah. common. The driving and the listening and all the phone calls, phone calls, and so these new rules yes. around don't touch your phone. Like I'm, I just got a new car that it's all Bluetooth, and oh, that's the only way I'm going to keep my license because <laughs> you know I got audio books going, I'm making calls, I've got navigation, I'm listening to music. It's, you know, I was trying to do it with voice commands, and I oh. love the one where I leave someone a voice message, but then it doesn't hang up, and you're like, hey Google, hang up the phone, <laughs> and it's on their voice message. <laughs> In the end, I'm giving up and we go a full 90 seconds sometimes. And I'm like, oh, technology <laughs> once again. Oh, dear. Uh, All right. Was there anything that you would like to add? No, I've talked entirely about myself. I was just, was just going to ask, like, what I was going to ask of you, what, what, um, I, I mean, I've learnt little snippets along the way, but I was going to ask in terms of um, your work, like, sounds like a mix of different things that you've been oh, doing and i'm not actually sure how and whether i you know how to add add at the end do i add my story at the end i don't know so yeah, i was not in the right place at the right time <laughs> i was <laughs> i was not very i think i think the words for it these are not very comfortable with myself and not very and always searching for to try to be someone else so that yes. made me in the wrong place at the wrong time all the time. If you know, so what I think I mean. it's sort of. I love the forties. Yes, this is definitely my time. And then, and then when I first put this idea forward, I'm thinking this is such a great time. In that assumption that if it's a great time for me, it's a great time <laughs> for everyone. I love how that came straight back at me. Saying, this is not a great time for me. And I thought, like, yeah, that's true. There was a reunion in. It's been a couple. I don't know if you went to either. I went to one in 2010, which was oddly placed at 15 years. Yeah. And then there was one at 20 years. That I went to that on. one. Yes. That one. And there were a couple, and I was thinking, I couldn't, that was a terrible year for me. I couldn't go to that, you know, that year. Yeah. No, nah, you know, and I thought, whereas this is a good year. So I think it's all, it's all so complicated. There's so many variables at play in everyone's lives and yeah. and you never know when it's going to change. Like sickness can come in yes. out of left field and take people from the greatest moment and then suddenly they're in a time and then that mm. everything passes, everything is so fluid and I wish I'd known all this stuff when I was younger, you know, the, I, know. The years I would love to take all what I've learned and go back. Yes. But at the same time not because I suppose I, a lot of things I probably do exactly the same and only by doing that stuff did I learn so and that shaped you here who you are. Yeah, right? so you kind of, once again, it's just enjoy the moment stuff again. Yeah. All right, <laughs> Natasha, lovely to talk to you.
Yeah, lovely to chat. So nice to see you, Phil, this time. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I absolutely love the idea of being in the right place at the right time because you're comfortable with who you are. That's great stuff. Thank you.